We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX Command Simulated. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 153 on this Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I said influential, but it is just Dan and Frances Tomas once again today. Frances, I hope to say that we're starting to get a little influential, but uh, I think our conversation last week with Neymar and Dembele, as far as which one we want to be at Barcelona in the future, I said Dembele over Neymar, you said Neymar over Dembele. Well, I think that argument has really been turned on its head in the last week, and that's not either of our fault. I think it depends on you know whether you want to be looking long-term or you want to be looking now. I think both points were valid. I still think Neymar is essential in order to improve our goal-scoring production up front. I think Dembele obviously has a lot of growing up to do um, in terms of reading his body especially, and the latest injury is not going to help anybody, definitely not his case either. You know, I think I think the point you were making for Dembélé to stay for longer wasn't that bad, to be honest. No, 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 I, I don't think so. But we're going to actually talk plenty about Dembélé, Neymar, and Barcelona's injury crisis today. Let's La Grande Pagunta before we finish up the rest of the show with a bit of La Ronda. And we do have a bunch of La Ronda questions that do impact the conversation we're about to have about how will Barcelona handle their injury crisis. So we're going to break this down and... Very rarely do I give a little table of contents at the start of an episode, but we're going to go over the injury crisis that's currently going on. Then we're going to talk about uh, the squad as far as how they rely on Messi and Ter Stegen. We're going to talk about Neymar once again, about bringing him in. Then we're going to talk about not selling certain players who can fill in. And then we're going to talk about reinforcing with youth. So we're going to break it down that way, La Grande Pagunta. Let's start, though, by explaining to you what 
injury crisis is going on at the moment. That is that Messi is still recovering from an injury. He may or may not play against Real Batiste. And that Luis Suarez is out with a calf injury. Usmane Dembele has been in the news, obviously. It's dominated the headlines for the last few days because he is going to be out for five weeks. And we don't know the nature of what happened with this. There has been multiple reporting. It seems like, as we know, Frances, the press is always a little harder on on Dembele. But if he, it is true that he's indeed going to be fined for not giving proper explanation and missing a medical exam with the club doctors, then certainly there was responsibility there to be held on him. The bigger picture for Dembele is that once he returns from this current injury, he will have missed 263 days and 44 games due to injury during his time at Barcelona in the three years he's been at the camp now. Uh, so let's start with a question from Ramon. How confident are we with Dembele at this point? Is it hard to get a read from the media or news if he's dedicated to staying healthy? Uh, and then is it time to start looking at his exit come the end of the year? Is this really the end of Dembele, Francis? That's, that's what I tweeted out, that it felt like this latest injury might be the end, whether it's in January or next summer. Uh, I, I don't think he'll be leaving while he's injured, but it, it's really hard to tell how long he still has at the camp No. It is tricky because um, just last week we were debating, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we were debating about this. Um, I think he's had many injuries at Barca, and as you said, he's missed a ton of games, and um, it makes you think that his, his signing wasn't really worth it. Um, but th this episode, this latest one, especially about the fact that reportedly he just travelled to France right after, as if nothing had happened, and also reportedly, and you know, we have to believe what the media says up to a point as well, and that he just went to see his mom and other people saying that he went to Senegal. I'm not sure where he went, but regardless, it is really absolutely clear that this latest injury has finished the patience of the vast majority of the fan base. Um, I've been reading a lot of um, sort of Catalonia radio and different sources in, in Catalan from Catalonia. And say you read 50 comments on social media, 49 are against him. And the other one is some silly comment about something else. So there was no, not a single comment anywhere in social media about Dembélé sort of making it back and establishing his, his attitude and, and his um, position at Barca. And I think the patient has run out. Um, personally, I don't really feel much different than I did last week. Um, I still think he's going to be a, a valid player for us. But obviously, after three years of saying, all right, let's give him a bit of time. All right, let's, you know, Let's just hope that he grows. Let's start hoping that he starts passing. I understand why people's patience is running low, but I think we are, what are we, middle of August? I don't think it's too early to judge a season. I think once you've got a player that starts the season, you've got the whole season to judge. And I think the end of term notes should be given, end of term marks, sorry, in English, not as in Spanish, um, should be given um, near, nearer to the, to the summer. And I think that if you get to that point and he's still basically missing half of, if not more, of the games, then you have to upload them. But I think the reasoning to keep him, which we both actually said last week and in previous episodes as well, that we should keep him even if Neymar comes, I, I stand by it. I think it is too early to judge the player for the whole year because the year has just started. It's just that once again he's injured and once again he's been immature and I want to say I'm professional about it. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about, obviously, when Neymar left, the money that was brought in for him. And, you know, you get to thinking that it wasn't necessarily Valverde that, 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 uh, that, that asked 
necessarily for the combination of Dembele and Coutinho, but um, I, I think Coutinho winds up having been in that in, in uh, not to say a waste of money, but he didn't wasn't worth the 120 million uh, that he was paid for, and I think that you know I think that amount that was paid for Coutinho at the time was a reaction to how much money Neymar had brought in. That said, I think. But that Dan, with wait. that, I think that Dembélé's um, input, Dembélé's efficiency, Dembélé's ability to unbalance games. So I absolutely think that he is worth keeping just because of that, and Coutinho just couldn't cut it. Yeah, friends. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I agree with you that I think Dembélé, having been more than a, about 100 euros, I think regardless of who bought him at the time, Barcelona happened to be the team that bought him, but when he was bought from Dortmund, I, again, watched him at Dortmund, the 100 million was a proper evaluation of that player at that time. While Coutinho, I think, was a little bit too large of an amount for what he was at the time, it was a knee-jerk reaction to, to Neymar leaving. I mean, we remember that Dembele was got that summer, and we may not like his tactics when he left Dortmund, by sitting out, but that seems like a lot of what the major players in, in world football do. Neymar doing now at PSG. We thought that Bale would do it at Real Madrid right now. Uh, it seems like they brought him back in the fold. But nevertheless, I, I think Coutinho, as we saw, we had to wait all the way till January to those negotiations. Barcelona to push that one over the edge because they had lost all leverage in the negotiations. Um, so, yeah, I think I agree with that point that Dembele, would you make that deal again? Of course. Again, I watched him at Dortmund. He's still... At 22, one of the most promising talents in world football. Now, what we don't have is what, I mean, why we read the comments we do, that there is no leash for young players, where it is necessary for them to stay healthy, and them to succeed, and them not to give the ball away, and them to, you know, in, in a way that he does give the ball away a lot, and it seems after two seasons he hasn't fully integrated the Barca system. And does that mean that he's uh, already at, at 22? You know, that's the player he's going to be, and he's never going to change on all these different things. Or, you know, I'm going to take this in a different direction, Frances, and I'm going to start to blame the system. Not that I haven't before, but I really want to now tactically, I'm going to bore you for a second and talk about tactically uh, the issues of why it's an injury crisis. And I know they have the whole front line at the moment, but why a lack of Messi in just even one game has everybody screaming code red. Barcelona have lost one game of their season, and it's going to be more of the same because not only do they not have Messi, but they don't have any hope when they don't have the number 10. So do you mind if I indulge you in some Messi dependency talk, Frances? Yeah, and you absolutely know bore me because you've got plenty of knowledge. So go ahead. So here we go. I, I think now, if you want more on this, even about Messi's history with injury and how that affects the club from year to year, I want to plug the YouTube video that's going to be coming out either tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you go over to our YouTube site, the Barcelona Podcast. It is all about the history of Messi Dependencia. But at the moment, what I do want to mention is that tactically, Barcelona are so reliant on Messi and Ter Stegen that it does kind of uh, change the scope of how we view the last few seasons and why one game has everybody hitting, hitting the panic button. Expected points, which is not really a, a, a great measure of, of a team success, but expected points, this being in the Liga, uh, and this is taken for a, a formula with a lot of different metrics in it, uh, including expected goals, expected goals conceded. So expected points in the season for Barcelona, which obviously they were able to go beyond that by winning the league uh, each season now for the last few seasons other than the Atletico Madrid one. But Messi has improved his free kick taking, and Ter Stegen has improved in net as expected, points have gone down in each of the last five seasons, and that really does look like you're walking down the steps in that manner. Expected goals, meanwhile, as in the 
and that, that that metric makes sense. It's the goals that are expected again with the, a pretty complex formula, but those have gone down as expected goals conceded have gone up in four of the last five seasons. Again, so what that tells you is that Messi is getting results as the expected goals coming from the team has gone down, and Ter Stegen is making saves and keeping Barcelona in games as their expected goals conceded has gone up. Uh, and Ter Stegen has continued to save the team time and time again as well. To me, let me explain. I, I want to go back to this Neymar point and Dembele. Trust me, this all makes a lot of sense. The biggest failure when I was looking at it tactically of Ernesto Valverde is actually to improve the right back spot. I know that all the way back in the day, replacing Danny Alves was going to be a tall task. Uh, and we know that Sergio Roberto defensively didn't look like he even did the trick. But the problem offensively was that in the way that even Roberto likes to cut in and feels more natural as a midfielder, it denies width. And it's not an indictment on Messi, but the way that Messi has taken on responsibility for Barcelona, he no longer provides any width on that right side. Uh, and so the lack of improvement for Nelson Semedo and the lack of Valverde's tactical acumen to be able to get the best out of the right back position, whether it was Semedo or Roberto, but in particular, the improvement of Nelson Semedo, that had just created a vacuum on that right wing. And Barcelona is no longer using any kind of width whatsoever. I talked about the pressing being an issue, and this is one of those chicken or the egg type situations where because of Barcelona's older core, they cannot press in the way they want to in the same way that Messi does save his legs for all the work he does and the the burden that he has on him offensively. He doesn't really press anymore, and he doesn't really add width. And tactically, that just decimates Barcelona. And now Neymar... We mentioned, would Neymar have made an effect against Athletic Bilbao? Sure. Maybe he scores the goal with a solo effort that makes it 1-1 because he is one of the top offensive players in the world. But I think tactically, why people say, oh, Valverde, it's a boring system. I don't like how Barcelona look. I don't think Neymar changes that. It's going to be give the ball to Neymar. It's everybody's still going to stop the minute he gets the ball. And we're going to have to hope that his magic coupled with Messi's magic, then bails Barcelona out. So is Neymar, I think, you know, is he the best decision for right now this season? Of course, Neymar would make Barcelona better. Maybe they do a ton of winning. Who knows how far they can go with Neymar. But tactically, it does not solve any of the fundamental issues that Barcelona has. It's not going to be a guy that's working in the system. I was happy about the young because he's a perfect system guy for what Barcelona needed. And Antoine Griezmann, uh, you know, as, as we talked about even, Frances, I was wishy-washy on that one because I think pressing-wise and tactically, uh, Antoine Griezmann molds in and is pretty flexible in certain ways, but in other ways, uh, because he does obviously also operate best playing off a striker in the center part of the field, he still does not tactically help us out in that way, but he does do the defensive side of the pressing. So Antoine Griezmann does fulfill some of the requirements. So again, my biggest issue is Neymar just thinking through long-term, he's just going to extrapolate the issues that Valverde's uh, now flawed system has with a team that is older, that is just, again, incrementally getting a little bit younger. And if Usmane Dembele is hurt and cannot play, then we have just an old aging strike force that does not help the defense at all. And I don't think any of those metrics, expected goals or expected goals conceded, change with Neymar in the fold. All right, Frances, over to you. Your turn. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, I think that um, a lot of the points you make make perfect sense, especially on Messi and Ter Stegen. It is obvious they have been keeping the team together for many years. In terms of the arrival of Neymar, if he does get signed, which obviously is still to be seen, I think that the arrival of Neymar 
would actually um, not be in the benefit of Alba. Because when you're talking about width, a lot of the width that Barca have right now comes from Alba. If you think about the amount of balls he touches or how the team tends to vasculate to the left, it is incredibly often. And I would put that, obviously, in the quality of the players. But also, much more importantly, having played football all my life myself, is to do with trust. You know, as a player, when situations get difficult, when you're pressed, when you've got people coming behind you, then you always pass the ball to whoever you think is going to make the best use of it. Um, if you are, say, for example, you're Rakitic, you know that if you vasculate the ball and you take it to the interior on the left, that ball will eventually get to Alba and there could be a cut-through pass or a run to the byline. Something will happen. That does not happen since the, I would say, the Dani Alves departure doesn't happen in the same way on the right wing. And we've tried many different players. Yeah, I, I think Sergio Roberto was great moving forward, as you sort of mentioned, but he, dri he does drift towards the middle. But I don't think that's Roberto's role because as a, as a unit, as a team, once you've got a fullback that pushes as much as Alba, then the one on the right should be more conservative, which is why I'm still happy with Semedo to do the role because I think he's more defensively strong. I, I see it as, um, obviously, what I'm going to say, it, it links back to two very good players we had, obviously. But with Abidal and Alves, Alves on the right was the one that kept pushing forward all the time and Abidal was much more defensively solid. Of course, he could push himself when he wanted, but Abidal wasn't a player that would sort of run towards the byline. He would go forward and, com and combinate whenever it's needed, don't, don't get me wrong. But I think that we've got that mirror with Alba and Semedo. The, arri uh, the arrival of uh, Neymar would definitely limit the influence that Alba does have. And that's when it comes to Dembele and his potential and the fact that other people in the team don't always trust him. Um, if he was, like, say, Tari Henry, stuck to the to la linea de cal, stuck to the line, then he would provide the width and he would, because the team vasculates the other side, there would be a huge gap there that could be that could be beneficial for the team and could be exploited. But because they don't trust him, he tends to cross towards the middle, he tends to run towards the middle, and then the team is just vasculating in a small distance from one winger to the other, if that makes any sense, and the width is not being provided. So I think the points you made are totally valid. But I think if, if the player in itself, say, whoever's the right winger, which for me should still be Dembele, um, regardless of what's happened in the last week or two, um, it's to do with trust. It's to do with the fact that the players in his team don't always think he's going to finish. They don't think the ball is going to come back in the, in the best position that's going to be beneficial in order to score. And I think that's the key, which is why I think having a player of Neymar's calibre would be good for the team. Um, I'm not Valverde, but how about playing Neymar as a right winger? That would be a solution because you've got Griezmann as well. But, you know, I think whatever the Valverde would do um, is, is up to him. And I know that a lot of listeners, a lot of fans don't really buy his tactics. Um, I think it's fairly boring. And there's things like that that, you know, as clever as we may sound on the podcast or not, that's, that's debatable. Um, I think Valverde should be able to see what we see because that's his day-to-day -day job, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I not only do I agree tactically with your balance point, uh, as I said, I, I want to go back to the fact that if it was the inverse when it where it would be Alba behind Messi, now I know that they work better with those diagonal balls, but with Messi behind Jordi Alba and Jordi Alba filling that space that Messi then vacates, the problem is that it's now switched, that Alves is, you know, with Alves being the right back that was moving forward, if Semedo's staying at home and Messi's the one cutting in, Again, the issue happens on the right wing where you have 
no width added to that right side. As I said, I think you're correct when if Neymar were able to stay wide on that right wing the same way that we expect Dembele to do, uh, as I've said in preseason, I was really happy with the combination of Dembele and Semedo that, uh, you know, without Messi, the team really did look filled into all those different spaces and they, and they kind of worked through that. And as I said, I'm going to talk about in the YouTube video as well. Uh, the, the easy answer is, is, is Barcelona better without Messi? No, but you see spatially uh, and tactically that there is a little bit more flow Without Messi, believe it or not, um, but then Messi has. Uh, Dan, can I add one more point yes, tactically please. in there? Then, so um, in in Spain, having played football all my life in Spain, obviously, and my brother having played for Barca um, at the La Masia Academy for a couple of years, one of the key things for wingers growing up through La Masia is the fact they play. Well, when Catalan in Spanish, we say a pierna cambiada, which means that you are open. So say you are right-footed, that's your preferred foot to kick the ball, then you will normally stay on the left. Because when you cut through, you can obviously run to the byline and cross. It will be more difficult if it's not your sort of natural leg to do so, natural foot to do so in English. Um, but if you cut through the middle, then you can shoot with your best shot, which is what Coutinho does so well. You know, right. And because Dembele is right-footed, even though he's obviously able with both, both feet, um, playing for from the right, he doesn't necessarily have that. And we don't have anyone who would be able to do that unless you yeah. put Alba on the right, which actually you know makes no sense because he plays as a fullback. But I don't think we found the ideal winger. And going back to the very first point, I think bringing Neymar would add quality, get more chances, and then give the coach more options in order to play with. But that is a very good point. And you also mentioned in terms of pressing, that's why I still believe, I know it didn't work out because it was the first time out, but I still believe the youth, the hunger and the creativity, even though we didn't see it in Bilbao, that the young and Roberto and Alanya brought was good. You know, I mm -hmm. think that playing away at Bilbao is difficult, always going to be, has been every single year. But I think the degree of pressing and the way that they were so unselfish with each other was beneficial. You know, and I know that it's, it sells more to say negative things about the team, but I strongly believe that not everything was bad in Bilbao and these youngsters need time to play together. Obviously, Busquets and Rakitic have the experience and everything becomes much more, how can I put it, much more consolidated, much more established when they play, but also is more predictable. So I think that's what Valverde was trying to do. Yep, I think that goes back to the point of uh, after one match that if Valverde, in truth, were trying to rebuild a system with some of his new additions, you cannot simply tear something down and erect it immediately uh, right afterwards. If he really has tried to redo a system that involves more pressing, it involves a lot of different uh, tactical timing, that's going to be uh, something that's going to take a little while. And so the question I would ask is that if this Barcelona team is trying to redo a whole system, right, and, and, and play a different way, would you rather win the Champions League in May when Barcelona have spent the whole season getting to their best? Or would you rather compromise now, if you had to pick one, it, would, you, would you rather compromise some La Liga matches now and potentially either bring that race down to the wire or potentially even lose out to Atletico Madrid or Real Madrid, uh, but win Champions League because you're playing your best in May? I wonder what a lot of fans would say uh, about that. Would you take the double or would you take the trophy? And I think the way that we are now in the social media era, in the instant gratification era, I think uh, you know a lot of people would say, and even us for our shows, when we have shows that are Champions League-based, people care a lot more. 
So I think, you know, the world over, I think people would take that one Champions League trophy and be best at the end of the season uh, and compromise La Liga for that. And the problem is that you also, instead of even picking one or the other, so many people say, well, it has to be everything. And the only way you get everything, uh, to Ellie's question about uh, why is it that we seem to think Neymar is the only option there, the answer to that is that Neymar is a hero, and a hero wins you individual matches. And so the addition of Neymar, and this is kind of where I, I would agree with people, if this is what people want, if this is the, the, the dogma that people are going to buy into, that we need another hero in Neymar to win individual matches, even if the team is not playing the best, to win individual matches, you do need a, a hero like Neymar. And when Barcelona looks at the market, they can try to find a winger that might tactically fit better. Uh, it might be, uh, obviously, any other winger is going to be less expensive. But Neymar is the hero that the team in this moment needs and wants and desires. And that's why Neymar seems to be the only option, because he's the only option for what the board and what the team is looking for right now. Uh, Absolutely. And yeah. with that done as well. Which other player of Neymar caliber is available? There isn't any. No. You know, the only one could be Gareth Bale from Madrid, and they're not going to sell it to him, and he's nowhere near as good. And if you're talking about strikers you would rather have at Barca, well, Mbappé springs to mind. But beyond that one, the, honestly, the team is stacked. You know, like yeah. how many teams out there? And, and I know that Kules and probably us as well complain a lot about this and that, but how many teams in the world would love to have Messi and Griezmann and even though he's older now, but he still can score 20 goals, Luis Suarez. You know, any team out there would take any of those three players any time. Yep. And the vast majority of them would also take Dembélé, even with his injuries. And the fact that, you know, he's, what, 22 or 23 now. He's still growing. He's still maturing. The team is stacked. If you look at midfield, what, we've got six, seven potential starters. And then you've got Rafinha adding to the mix. And you've got Ricky Puch, um waiting for his turn at Barca B, hopefully patiently enough. Funny, funny you should mention Rafinha, because Doug and Sajith both ask about Rafinha, and it's almost a, a guarantee that Rafinha, who has been playing wing in the preseason, that is where he's been able to add depth uh, before he was technically uh, looking to be sold. But it seems like uh, Sajith asked, why keep Vidal and sell Rafinha at this point with the depth? Good question, because Vidal, I think, I don't know where he gets minutes. We're going to talk about Arthur uh, in a little bit as well but uh yeah with Rafinha it seems like he has a purpose to be used in the fall so any deal for Rafinha might be waiting to the spring why why we keep Vidal is because Vidal is a different player you know you've got yeah. Rafinha very similar to a lot of the a lot of the midfielders we have very similar to Sergio Roberto for example so come, both come from La Masia and at different stages of confidence because Roberto's been a starter for the last what three years and Vidal adds you something else. He adds you something different. He adds um, a degree of um, aggression, a, de a degree of being able to intercept, a hunger of pressing that other players just don't have. So I think a player like Vidal is needed when obviously he is fit and willing. But I think that's why we keep Vidal and we offload um, Rafinha. I mean, if it was up to me, I would sell them both. But the, reason, honest, but, the, but the reason that Rafinha is going to be sticking around is because we have to look at him through the, the, the lens of what he was in the preseason, and that is as a winger, where he's adding winger depth now. And again, Vidal's going to be competing in the midfield. We don't expect Rafinha to be competing in that midfield if he sticks around. Uh, again, he'll probably get the start uh, at Batiste because he's playing up on that right wing uh, at the moment with everybody out. And, and so Doug's question about Rafinha in particular where do we draw the line between injury-prone and has been injured several times? And the, the, 
Rafinha is the example here um, that now it seems like people are shedding the reputation that uh, that he is not often always injured. And I, I think the point uh, to, to Douglas's to answer Douglas's question that Rafinha has had so many unlucky long term injuries that have kept him out as opposed to small knocks and and, uh, and small things. So I think that Rafinha is should continue to be labeled as injury prone. I don't see why he hasn't if he's missed over half of his professional career so far. Um, uh, until mm-hmm. that balance has changed, I, I think he, you know, you, you, you have to say that he's, he's injury prone. Um, and then Dembele, due to his latest injury, each, each injury that comes after the, the prior one, he becomes a little more and more injury prone. Now, he's still played more than he's missed, but for Dembele, it's very, very close. Uh, and now you have other guys like Suarez has had injuries in his career, and I mean, uh, Alba has, in, has injuries in his career, but yet those guys are not seen as injury prone because they play the majority of, uh, they've just been injured a bunch of times, and they haven't, they, they aren't guys that uh, every season you expect they're going to be down for more than they're, they're playing. So I, I think Ravinia is still going to have a hard time um, breaking that label, but it is interesting to me and, and, and quite a coincidence that a guy that you offload because he's so injury prone in Rafinha is possibly going to be staying because he's the only one who was able to stay healthy. Well, there's another element on that, Dan. If Valencia actually wanted to pay us what the club is asking for Rafinha, which reported is just 15 million euros, he would be gone. Yeah, it's true. So the only, the, the only reason that Rafinha is still in the squad is because Valencia, who seems to be the most interesting team of his services, just haven't met the valuation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He would be gone. So that in itself shows you that the coaching staff, the club in itself, don't necessarily trust him to stay. And out of all the people in the squad, he's the one that actually was the best player in Bilbao. So mm-hmm. go figure how that one worked. Yep, I agree on all those points. And we've been really negative this show, so I have to do something to make myself a little happy here. Uh, so finally, the, the last part of La Gran Pagunta. I know we've gone a little long on La Gran Pagunta, so we're going to get as many listener questions as we can. We'll see how we get there. But the last point is that the club is going to have to reinforce with Carlos Perez and Ansu Fati. And this is one of those, can't have your cake and eat it too. Everybody calls for La Masia. They call for the Cantera. They call for those youth players to be trusted in the way that Pep Guardiola used to do, right? That's supposed to be the model for Barcelona. Well... If we say that Carlos Perez doesn't do enough, now we have a 16-year-old Ansu Fati who was Barca B's best player in their preseason. He's a juvenile A player, should be playing for Victor Valdez this season as a 16-year-old, both a winger, but has also played in the uh, number nine position as well. He was the top goal scorer for juvenile A uh, last season, and he is training with the first team ahead of Real Betis. And Andres asks, with Dembele, Suarez injured, and Messi not 100%, is there a possibility that Ansu Fati can get his debut on Sunday against Batiste? Uh, and this is because he was training with the first team today. Knowing everything we know about Anusba Verde, my answer is a resounding no. He's just going to be there um, just sitting on the bench just for good experience. Uh, in case oh, no. Emergency. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Frances. But, but obviously, you know I'd love to see him on the field, and our added should be with Valverde. Last or two weeks ago, we talked about, or it might have been last week, again, the, the days blend together. I said that Valverde needed to have bravery. And this is one of those instances where your whole strike force is out. Antoine Griezmann is the one looking around going, oh, I guess it's you and I, Rafinha. And then Carlos Perez maybe is there. But if Ansu Fadi has been the best player for Barca B in their preseason while Perez has been up with the first team, if he is talented enough to play and it looks like he is the best option, then this is a moment when Valverde has to look in the mirror and say, I need to have the bravery to give a 16-year-old player his debut against Real Batiste. And if that's how we live or die, then that is how I want to go down. 
And I think if he is talented enough to play, he needs to be the guy who plays. But again, Valverde, I mean, it comes, Frances, the question, does Valverde have the bravery to do something like that? And my, again, my gut reaction has been over these last few years now with Valverde. The answer is going to be no. He might make his debut in the 82nd, 88th minute, what have you. It's going to be Perez, Rafinha, and Griezmann. And then maybe Fadi makes his debut, but more likely than not, if Valverde and Barcelona are up in the game, we do not see the 16-year-old. No, we don't. <laughs> Absolutely right. We, we don't see Fadi this weekend. Um, but the thing is, if I was manager, and I know I keep saying this, if I was the manager in the situation that he's in today, I wouldn't play him either. Um, because say... For whatever reason, you play the kid from the start. He's 16 and he has a terrible game. We lose at home to Betis. That's two losses in the first two games. Um, we know how everybody is sort of with their arms up in the sky, sort of waving and incredibly, incredibly cross with how everything works in the club at the moment, just after losing just the one game. Then you're just throwing, like we say in Spanish, tirando a los leones, which means you're throwing him to the lions to be eaten. I think it's the wrong time to have him playing I think is the right time to have him training um, in terms of who's going to play this weekend I mean you've got Griezmann who obviously is a definite um, I read just before starting the podcast that Messi has been training today um, I understand that he's been playing with training with the team knowing Messi he could make a you know inverted commas miraculous um, return in there but I think even Sergio Roberto may get may get an as a winger um, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I know that he hasn't tried that you know, over the um, preseason, but he's played there before and he was good as a right back last season. He was starting last week. He clearly trusts him. Don't be surprised if Roberto starts as a right wing. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good shout. That's a really good point. Uh, we have a question from AJ. With the young signing, Roberto moved to center midfielder and Valverde's love for Busi and Rakitic, where does that leave Arter in terms of playing time? Very low. Very low on the scale, without a doubt. Uh, but I think that is, in a way, self-inflicted. His second part of last season was terrible. Um, terrible by his standards in the first half. And I think that he needs to push a little bit further. And he needs to try harder over the, the course of the training sessions. And when he performs, he needs to be at his best. And honestly, he just wasn't. So, obviously, missing the vast majority of preseason hasn't helped him either. He returned to work, what, three or four weeks after everybody else. And he's just not ready to have a lot of minutes. And you put two and two together and it's four. He's not going to play very much unless he starts impressing in training. And obviously, I'm not there in training sessions. But, um, yeah, when he gets a chance, he, he needs to take it. But he's not going to have many. I'll give you that. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth... You savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Well, Charlie and Andre asking about Valverde. Charlie says, what can we conclude from how the team looks? And Andre, what is the identity of the team under Valverde? And I think, Frances, we've kind of answered a lot of that uh, tactically uh, this time around. But can you at least give your impression on how, uh, when you listen to Catalan Radio, when you just get a sense around the people uh, from Barcelona, how they're viewing 
Valverde, and not even him as an individual, but this Valverde era and what the team looks like under him? They're, they're both to death. Um, unfortunately, that's, that's in a nutshell, in a couple of words, that's what it is. Um, in Barcelona, there's a lot of melancholia. I think the word in English is melancholy. Uh, always sort of look into the past and, you know, you've got the romantics that were there when Cruyff was succeeding with his sort of inventions, beautiful, powerful way of playing football that also, let's not forget, generated titles. Then um, it got lost a little bit there in the middle, especially during the Van Gaal era, especially, you know, after Cruyff departed. But definitely with Van Gaal, everything was sort of rock bottom, even though we had a good team, may I add, because we had Rivaldo and a bunch of Dutch players who were actually very good, but it just never worked out. Then, obviously, the Guardiola era was, I think, irrepetible, never going to come back um, in that manner. And we just had the best 11 players in the world because we had a manager who knew how to employ them and thought of a system that was totally tailor-made in order to maximize everyone's skills. And that's why, you know, you go back to, let's say, 2008, FIFA World Player, seven or six players from Barca. And that was repeated every single year. And it's just been declining, basically. And, you know, when you've got Luis Enrique, we we had actually quite a bit of success in terms of titles. Obviously, winning the Champions League in 2015 did help. But despite the fact that Valverde gets us to win domestically, people are bored out of their heads and they just don't, don't know, don't quite understand what they're still supporting a club. Um, when the club philosophy, based on the coach's philosophy, has changed so much. And I, for one, am never going to stop supporting the club, you know, until I die, without a doubt, because it's in my blood. I was born there, and that's, that's who I am as a person. But, man, it needs to get better, because it's just not enjoyable to watch anymore. And, you know, we can throw up positives here and there, but, you know, bottom line is, it's just not that much fun to watch. And Barca is not just any other club. We wouldn't be happy just winning or because then when it gets to big matches, you just don't win because someone is better than you. So it needs to be a combination of the football that took us there because that is the way that we know we can be successful because we're different from the others. And Valverde is just not going to be the man that's going to do that based on the last three years of experience. And it's up to whoever runs the club, which is not the board, by the way, is the socios, which are the people that um, club members who are the ones that vote. They are the ones that need to decide on the direction of the club and they need to be a little bit more risky, less conservative and stop voting for the people that are generating all of this. Yep, yep. That's a question Michael asked. At what point did the multiple failed signings lead to Bartomeu losing his job? Uh, and I, I think, as I brought up in, in, in previous episodes, that I think that you know, with that short-sightedness that presidents can possibly have in charge of Barcelona, that they can say, well, if we get trophies, socios will be happy and I won't have to worry about uh, uh, the next, I'll worry about next season, next season. How many times has um, the, the feelings of the board, you know, you see that the same people that say that Bartomeu needs to be out, that Valverde is done, that Dembele is, is a failed signing and washed up. All the people that say all those three things, that it's time to just completely uh, get rid of everything and destroy this era, they're the same ones that post that picture of him with his sleeves rolled up going to Amsterdam to get Frankie de Young. It's the same thing. It's the same. You know, we have found, as you, as you said at the beginning, that negativity is what pushes us forward um, and, what, and what seems to sell uh, on Twitter, it's what gets the likes. Uh, on Facebook, it, it's what gets people to share your stuff. Uh, when we're negative and we tear things down, and, you know, a team that is competing for a treble 
every single season can look as boring and terrible, as terrible as it is, as I've as we keep mentioning, that tactically Barcelona is lost. They're in a wilderness. It is boring, and I agree with all those different things. But then when we celebrate those trophies in the same way, uh, which we haven't, the Copa del Rey and the Liga seemingly don't matter any a, a, anymore at all. So everything comes down to winning the Champions League and winning it in, in, in with the best possible team we can win it. Uh, and if those are the goals that are not being met, then certainly the socios are the one that need to look. And regardless of whether or not he brought De Young to the club, you know, that's one of those where, um, you know, back in the day, uh, it's funny, I always talk to people about uh, growing up in my house, and very rarely do I mention uh, my, my mother on this podcast, but here we go, Mom. Uh, I know she doesn't listen. So regardless, when I was younger and my parents would tell me to do chores, right, I would say, I would say, well, if I do that, can I, you know, can I get uh, a piece of, uh, a, a good food I like to eat, or can I get a snack, or can I get a new video game if I do this big, big chore, right? And my mother always said, no, you have to do that because it's what you have to do. It's your responsibility. It's your duty to do that chore. If you get that reward, you don't get it as reward. You get it, you know, you get it anyway. You would, you would get that thing because you've been good in a lot of different facets, and so you deserve that thing, not because you, um, you know, you, you, you took out the trash and you did the dishes and, and you did X, Y, Z. So for me, Bartomeu, Frankie de Jong was screaming out to be a Barcelona player, and he was a player more than any other that I saw to be a future Barcelona player. So I think no matter who the director was at the time, uh, who the president was, rather, of Barcelona, uh, they should have done their due diligence to go after de Jong in the way that the club did. The fact that Bartomeu had to go to Amsterdam at the 11th hour might even be a failing of the negotiations by his part, uh, and even by the part of Abidal and Roman Planes and everybody involved in that negotiation. So again, it's putting makeup on a pig that there's these, there's these fundamental issues going on at Barcelona that, were being, that are being painted over by these positive things. Um, but all that said, as we keep talking, Frances, I cannot find a way to blow everything up and, and say that we need to destroy everything at the club and just leave Messi, a uh, 32-year-old, just leave him on the field facing down everything else because everybody else is trash. Again, you, we, we have to find a balance of recognizing what is fundamentally wrong with the club, but also trying to destroy everything and tearing everything down. Um, and it's funny, I'm going to wrap up the show by asking a question from uh, Antonio. He says, what do you think about Eric Ten Hag as, Barcelona new, as Barcelona's new coach? Uh, and, and I want to end by saying this is a point that you know, we watched him at Ajax last season get to the semifinals by playing this expansive, uh, wonderful football. And I've been trying to keep an eye on them because there's an American prospect. He's also Dutch eligible, unfortunately. Sergino Desk, uh, Dest, who is the right back for Ajax, has already made uh, his, his Eredivisie debut this season. So I'm keeping an eye on Ajax. But Ten, Ten Hag, like so many other coaches that, that, that we look at uh, with wanting eye, you look at the leash they have at the clubs that they're at. Um, and expectations for those clubs are still quite high, but they're not as high as they are at Barcelona. So it's this weird uh, identity thing. It's not even about the identity that the club has. It seems like the board and Valverde and the players are very much on a similar or very much on the same page. But we as Kool-Aids, whether they're in Barcelona or whether they're uh, in the United States or whether they're Qatar, regardless of where Kool-Aids are, particularly those online, it seems that we don't know our identity as Kool-Aids. That, I think, is what we've lost more than anything else. Yeah, all valid points. Um, talking about Ten Hag, I think, with all due respect, he hasn't coached a major superstar um, at the level that Messi or Suarez or Busquets or Rakitic or Piquet or Ter Stegen even or, say, Dani Alves when he was here or Alba. 
he doesn't have that, that kind of player in, uh, from the beginning. You know, he grows them, which is much more much more positive. But coming to Barca as a manager is it is about the tactics and it is about the philosophy, but it's also about the needs must sort of agenda because once you've got all of those players sort of hinting you and telling you how you need to play it takes someone really brave with a lot of backbone and a lot of sort of self-confidence and also a lot of support from the board that also has a lot of support from the fan base to make those changes because say he came to Barca and for whatever reason he thought Suarez shouldn't be a starter and he wants to be sold well a lot of people there would disagree that may annoy Messi himself etc etc so it's not just about, I'm going to go to the board and I'm going to organize my team in this way. These are my tactics. It's also, unfortunately, or unfortunately, because you need to have these kind of players, there is an element of ego in there and an element of uh, my career allows me to have an opinion that is more valued than the others. And whether you like it or not, that's, that's human life, that's human nature, that's organizations. And that's what any player coming to Barca would would be able to uh, or will have to face, which is why we think that Xavi will be able to manage it, but obviously when he's ready. Yep, I, I think that's the point, that we're still... I, we'll get that question almost every week, but I think we're looking at uh, what happens in the short term with the coaching situation after Valverde is gone. I, I think I'm going to dig my heels in that we have to recognize that Valverde is the coach for this season. Uh, Unless they lose eight or, or ten matches in the Liga and they crash out in the... Uh, very early in the Champions League, uh, or you know, don't make it out of the group, then Valverde may lose his job in that way. But I think Valverde is going to be the coach at the end of the year. That said, whether they win the treble or whether they don't get a single trophy, I think this is Valverde's final season at the club. Uh, I, I have that feeling. I'm going to stick in there. I'm going to stick my head out there and make that prediction. Um, I think that's what... So regardless of how you feel about Valverde, he's going to be the manager all season long. So we just have to, again, watch these matches. Uh, and as hard as it is, Look for the positive signs about the team trying to improve week to week. And think of this as a, not even just Valverde in his third season, but think of this with the young and Griezmann um, and maybe some younger players coming in as well. But this this season, this team is a project looking towards the end of the season. Uh, and they really do just need to get results in the Liga and build themselves up to be uh, the best team to win in the spring when everything matters. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I do think, though, that if Valverde does win the Champions League with a 33-year-old Messi, he stays another season because then Messi, at that point in his career, may may just say, all right, we won with you, so let's let's just keep keep you here. But um, I, without a doubt, I agree with the heart of that, and I really do hope it's a successful season because that's what we're all here for. Exactly, right? We can't... We can't... Anticip- we can't be anticipating failure uh, when success is, is, is there and potentially going to be there. So well, anyway, Frances, we try to uh, do our best to be positive, uh, but then we also get negative. And it was another fun show. Uh, I, we didn't get to all the listener questions today, but uh, for those in the closed Facebook group, again, thank you for giving your questions. Uh, we, again, would love to answer all of them. We just haven't had the time. But for you listeners, thanks so much for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to us. You can also find us on social media or on Twitter at the bar. Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Instagram, Frances has been doing these uh, videos both on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, there's uh, basically there he's answering listener questions uh, in these little two three minute segments that have been really fantastic. So you go on our Instagram page, uh, you can get uh, a bunch of those. Also on Facebook. 
These questions came from our closed Facebook group at tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and plenty of discussion as well, not just these questions. Uh, you can also help us out on Patreon, where we have had a number of new Patreons this week. So thank you to all of our new Patreons this week. Uh, you don't know how important it's been with all the different things with this season starting and all the different money that's being reinvested into the show. I cannot tell you how, um, how great that has been to see all these new Patreons. They are getting the quick take match reviews after every match. Uh, I do those. Basically, they are bonus podcasts. Uh, they range anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, uh, depending on how uh, uh, exciting the game was. Uh, those are at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. As low as a dollar uh, or $3 can get you in there to listen to those. We are also on YouTube, as I plugged in this episode, at the Barcelona Podcast. Uh, again, this YouTube video for this week is all about Messi dependencia, which it seems to be a really important point as we're making as Messi returns from injury. So check us out there, hit that subscription button. And again, for our people who just listen to the regular podcast, thank you so much for listening wherever you're listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price, 999.99. 0% APR while supplies last.